Welcome to the John Campia Podcast, episode 14 for Thursday, April the 7th, 2016. This episode of the John Campia Podcast is sponsored by geekfeed.com. Stuff your geek hole. Hey guys, and thanks for joining me today on this episode of the John Campia Podcast. Obviously, we got to talk about that Star Wars Rogue One teaser. We're going to talk about the Jungle Book and Andy Serkis' Jungle Book being pushed back. Why won't Warner Brothers just come out and tell us a release date for a new Batman film and a whole bunch more? So sit back, relax. The John Campia Podcast starts right now. Well, hey there, guys, and thanks for joining me for this episode of the John Campia Podcast. Now, I'm going to let you guys know right off the top here, the sound quality of this particular episode isn't going to be so great. I'm not in my regular home studio recording this today, but I didn't want to put off uh, doing another episode because we didn't normally we'll have like three a week. And this week I was a little bit short because I haven't done a podcast since Monday. So I wanted to make sure I got one out today for a couple of reasons, a couple of big obvious reasons. But uh, so I had to record today's podcast from another location that's a little bit noisier than normal. So you're probably going to notice you're going to see some hear some noise in the background, stuff like that. I just want to apologize for that right off the top. And um, but who cares about that? Let's get right into it. We got a couple of big things to talk about today. We're going to get to the Jungle Book and things like that in a little bit. But let's start off with this. The Star Wars Rogue One teaser came out today. No, 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 I know, I know. A lot of you are yelling at your your computer right now or yelling at your speakers saying, John, it's not called Star Wars Rogue One. It's called Rogue One, a Star Wars story. That's fine. That's fine. I know you know that. Know it is that. Personally, for me, I am not calling this a Star Wars story because I think it's a dumb title. The title isn't going to hurt the movie, so who cares that it's a dumb title? But it is a dumb title. So I am calling this... Star Wars Rogue One. That's what I'm going to call it. So you'll know what I'm talking about. Anyway, so um, now I couldn't watch it as early as I wanted to. Now, the the trailer dropped, I believe, at 5 a.m. this morning, Los Angeles time, right? But the problem was I had plans with Dennis and Christian to do a trailer reaction to the Star Wars Rogue One trailer, and we weren't doing that until 9 a.m. So I wake up this morning to Anne. It's still dark out. To Anne shaking my shoulder going, John, John. I'm like, yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. What's up? She's like, do you want to get up and watch the Star Wars trailer with me? And I'm like, oh, baby, I can't because I told Christian and Dennis I would watch it with them and we're going to do a live reaction. So I had to hold off for a few hours, went to the gym and reading through my Twitter feed and everybody's tweeting me, John, have you seen the Rogue One trailer? I'm like, no, I haven't seen the Rogue One trailer yet. But anyway, finally, this earlier this morning, I watched it. And by the way, you can see mine and Dennis's and uh, Christian's live reaction to the Star Wars Rogue One trailer. It's up on the Collider video website if you want to go over there and check it out. But anyway, so we do that and we watch the trailer and I loved it. I really did, especially when you consider this is just the first teaser and realistically, you know, Christian and I were talking about this. If you take the first teaser trailer for The Force Awakens and you take the first teaser trailer for Star Wars Rogue One, Star Wars Rogue One, I think, not by a huge, huge margin, but by a significant margin, I think this teaser trailer for Star Wars Rogue One is better than that first teaser trailer that we got for Star Wars Episode Seven. 
Now, it's difficult. I was mentioning this to, to Christian. It's You can't measure the emotional response because that first teaser trailer for Star Wars Episode Seven, there was so much emotion behind it because we had not seen a Star Wars movie in a lot of years. It had been years and 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 years before since we saw a Star Wars movie. We had been waiting so long for a new Star Wars movie that when we finally saw them, we saw the Millennium Falcon and we saw the new version of X-Wing Fighters and we saw all that kind of stuff. There was such an emotional rush with it as well that this Rogue One teaser trailer cannot match. But if you want to take that, the emotional impact of it as far as you know, the Star Wars Episode Seven teaser was the first Star Wars we had gotten in so long. If you just take the two trailers, though, and hold them up side by side, I believe this Rogue One trailer is better than that Episode Seven trailer um, in, in a bunch of ways. So let's start in with it. First of all, we finally get to see Felicity Jones in action. She's clearly the lead character. She is the protagonist of this movie. And one of the things that I really loved about this trailer, one of the things that became very clear to me about this new Star Wars Rogue One movie is that they introduce us to Felicity Jones and they immediately let us know that this is a completely different character than Rey. This is not Rey. So this is going to be the second Star Wars movie in a row where our main protagonist is a female character, but they wanted to let us know right out of the gates this is a completely different character than Rey. And in many ways, a very different character from Leia. Even though you had a little bit of the Leia snarkiness into it, a little a little bit of the Leia spunk in it as well, this is a very different character. Now, I'm going to tell you right now that I personally am not a huge fan of that one line that Felicity uh, says in it when she says, well, this is the rebellion, isn't it? I rebel. I, uh, it sounded like a a hook line for a 1980s car insurance commercial. I I didn't dig the line. But other than that one line, I got so excited when I saw Mon Mothma in there. Now, we all suspected Mon Mothma was going to be there. I can't believe how perfect this actress looks as Mon Mothma. I mean, she looked amazing. She sounded like her. She looked like a slightly younger version of Mon Mothma. I mean, it it just looked incredible. And clearly, that was the Yavin base. That was also really exciting to see. We got to go back to the Yavin base and see that base that we first became introduced to in, of course, Star Wars, A New Hope. And now we get to see it back again. That was really cool to see, to see the classic War Room look. And then... We get to see the classic Star Destroyer as the camera pans back and we see the Death Star in its final paces of being put together. That was awesome. Now, one of the things that we talked about was we see uh, Mads Mikkelsen pop up there and we at least I think it was him, in that white Imperial uniform. And I see a lot of people online thinking, oh, well, that's Grand Admiral Thrawn. But remember, because that is the uniform Grand Admiral Thrawn wore, yes, but remember, that is the that is the standard issue uniform for the rank of Grand Admiral. Now remember, we have seen other Grand Admirals now and other Imperial leaders wear that identical white outfit. So while I do believe that this character we saw is a Grand Admiral, 
I don't think it's Thrawn. Now, it's possible it could be. I'm not completely discounting the possibility that they could say that this is Thrawn. But I don't know why you wouldn't go with the traditional blue skin of Thrawn and why you wouldn't go with the traditional red eyes of Thrawn because those would look really cool on camera. It would look really great. So I don't know why you would say that this is Thrawn yet not have those other elements, especially when, remember, one of the really interesting things about Grand Admiral Thrawn is that the Empire and the Imperial Army is is notorious for being extremely racist. I mean, they are humans first, buddy, uh, above everything else. And one of the really cool story angles of Grand Admiral Thrawn is he's not human and yet rose to the rank of Grand Admiral, which should tell you just how superior he is. Because, you know, when they say in the in the uh, gender struggle that, you know, a woman's got to de- be like 10% better than a male counterpart just to be considered equal. Well, in this imperial reality, if you're going to be an alien, you got to be like 50% better than everybody else to be considered equal. And so here you have Thrawn, who is... Um, Oh, I'm trying to remember the name of his race. It'll come to me a little bit later. But um, you have Thrawn, who is not human, and rises to the rank of Grand Admiral. That's a really, really interesting story hook that you can just throw out there and just let people know that that's there. Or you could actually explore and do something really cool with. So those reasons, on top of the fact that there's no need to not use the traditional look of Thrawn, lead me to believe that this character we saw in the trailer is not Thrawn, but clearly a Grand Admiral, and he looks awesome. That one shot of him from behind as he's walking through the battlefield and just the bottom parts of his cape are dragging through the water, I thought that looked insanely good. I thought, uh, Forrest Whitaker, you know, to be honest, I love Forrest Whitaker as a performer. I think he's incredible, but when I heard that he was announced for Rogue One, I was at first excited because he's such a great talent, but I started to get worried a little bit that by putting such a big-name actor, an Academy Award-winning actor, that everybody will recognize in there, I was afraid that it might detract from the movie a little bit. But i, I got to tell you, I saw him in this trailer, and I thought he fit, and I thought his narration fit really well, his voice sounded really good. I'm totally on board. Now, a lot of people I'm seeing online are speculating that that last shot of the trailer where we see Felicity Jones in the Imperial outfit thinking, oh my gosh, she turns. No, I think that's, I think that is basically just the same thing as Han and Luke being on the Death Star dressed as stormtroopers. I believe she's just blending in. I, I believe she's infiltrated the Death Star and I believe she's just blending in. So I don't think there's anything there to see about that. But I got to tell you guys, overall... I loved this trailer. I thought it was spectacular for a first teaser. It did not have the same emotional punch to me as the first Star Wars Episode Seven trailer teaser trailer did, but that's because it had been forever since we've seen anything Star Wars, and this was the first promise of new Star Wars. But I think this is the better trailer, and I'm very excited about it. I cannot wait to see this movie. All right, let's move on to the next topic here. And uh, if you guys are subscribed to my YouTube channel, if you're not, why not? Subscribe to my YouTube channel. I'm on YouTube. Just go to youtube.com slash John Campia. But up on my YouTube channel a few nights ago, I put up my review of the new John Favreau film, The Jungle Book, the live action version of the classic animated uh, Disney cartoon. And uh, I got to go to an advanced screening of it. And this is what I tweeted coming out. I tweeted. 
I do not think it is humanly possible to make a better The Jungle Book movie than what I just saw. And now a few days have passed that I've had to think about that, and I'm sticking with it. I am sticking with this notion that I don't think you can do a better one than this. I don't think you can do a better Jungle Book movie than what Jon Favreau just gave us. I think it's that good. And I put my review up on my YouTube channel, but I'll talk about it a little bit here. Um, one of the things I said in my review, and it's so true, is that you got to keep in mind when you're watching the trailers and you're watching this movie that everything is green screen. Everything except for the boy playing Mowgli is all green screen. Now, I remember at D23, John Favreau came out on stage and he says, we believe this is the most technologically advanced movie ever made, and to which we were all scratching our heads and going, really? Come on, aren't you overselling it a bit? And then before they played us this five-minute clip, he, he was on stage and he says to everybody, don't forget while you're watching this that everything you're about to see was shot on an L.A. green screen soundstage. And then they played the clip and our jaws were on the floor. I cannot believe how good this movie looks. Like, it's just insane how good this movie looks. It's absolutely gorgeous and beautiful and breathtaking and all that kind of stuff. It's just beautiful to look at, both the animals themselves, which you forget sometimes that these animals weren't real, that they were CGI. But the animals and the landscape, the environment, was so awe-inspiring. Just so beautiful. I just could not believe it. How absolutely gorgeous it is. And one of the things I also said in my review was, look, you can do all this right. You can have great dialogue. You can have this beautiful visual environment that you've created. You can even get great performances out of Ben Kingsley and Idris Elba and Christopher Walken and Lupita Nyong'o. You can do all that. But if this kid doesn't work, the one live-action actor in this movie the kid playing Mowgli. If we don't buy into Mowgli, then none of this movie will work. And I'm here to tell you that you will buy into this kid playing Mowgli. This kid was spectacular, which I believe is a testament to how good of a director John Favreau can really be. Because here's the thing. Sometimes we see child actors and they give a great performance, right? But sometimes they act a little too good. And they come across as too mature for their years. And they come across too smart for their years or whatever. And them performing that well can actually distract me because, okay, come on, an eight-year-old kid would not sound like that. Even though the kid sounds great and he's eloquent and intelligent, you think to yourself, but that's not what an eight-year-old kid would sound like. What they did with this character, Mowgli, you believed the hard emotional moments, you believe the excited moments, and you also totally believe that this is a kid because he acts and talks immature in a certain way that it just came across as so beautifully natural that I just completely bought into him, completely loved it. I thought it was fantastic. So this kid is amazing. And like I said, if this kid didn't work, even though they did almost everything else right in the movie, the whole movie fails. Because this kid has got to work, and he's got to work really well. So the kid works. Now let's move on to the other thing that's got to work now. you got to get great voice performances now out of these uh, characters that you're using in the film. So, look, let's start with 
Idris Elba as Shere Khan. Now look, when they announced Idris Elba was going to be doing the voice of Shere Khan, all of us went, oh man, that's perfect. Well, did it work out that way? Oh, hell yes, it worked out that way. Idris Elba as Shere Khan was absolutely perfect. Ben Kingsley as Bagheera was amazing. Bill Murray as Baloo was much... I, I don't know. There was a part of me that was a little bit worried that Bill Murray doing the voice of Baloo might have become a distraction, but it's not. Bill Murray does a great Baloo. He was wonderful as that. Lapita Nwongo as uh, Mowgli's adopted wolf mother was great. All the voice... Christopher Walken as King Louie was spectacular and wonderful. Look, this movie is just flat-out fantastic. Absolutely flat-out fantastic. And if it wasn't for Deadpool, I would say Jungle Book, this incarnation of Jungle Book, is the best movie of the year. I'm not sure I'm ready to call it that above Deadpool because, you know, Deadpool to me was just an unbelievable entertainment experience. But this is just a spectacular, wonderfully put together movie. I ended up giving it a 9 out of 10. Uh, it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's entertaining. It's funny. You'll love the characters. You'll love the story. You'll love... I love the music. Um, there's only two musical numbers in the movie. Uh, that might be considered a spoiler. If it is, I apologize. But there are only two musical numbers in the story or in the movie, and uh, man, they worked great. They absolutely worked great. Um, so you'll look forward to that. Now, that leads us into our, our third story here today, which when I came out of the Jungle Book, and I said, hey guys, I don't think it's even possible to make a better Jungle Book than what we just saw. All due respect to Andy Serkis, of course, the motion capture wizard who plays Caesar in, in the... Uh, uh, Planet of the Apes movies. He was Gollum, of course, in the Lord of the Rings movies. Uh, he was King Kong in Peter Jackson's King Kong. Uh, Andy Serkis is directing another version of The Jungle Book, but not for Disney, for Warner Brothers. That was scheduled to come out next year. Well, here's the thing. Uh, the day or two after I saw The Jungle Book, it was announced that Warner Brothers was pushing back Andy Serkis's The Jungle Book a full year into 2018. Now, Andy Serkis put out a statement on his Facebook page. I'm sure many of you know about this by now. But Andy Serkis put out a statement on his Facebook page, basically uh, telling everybody that he loved the fact that Warner Brothers has pushed it back a year because he said, look, we are doing so much innovative stuff with our facial motion capture stuff that we need as much time as possible to perfect this and make it just right. So Andy Serkis comes out, puts on the brave face and says, and, and you know, he's probably right. That's probably exactly why Warner Brothers is doing this because they needed the time. I just thought... it was, And so I'm all for it. If, if Andy Serkis is, is telling us the truth... And, you know, Warner Brothers and Andy Serkis just realized, you know what, we need more time to really do this right. We need to give our people more time, take the pressure off to do this completely right. If that's the reason they're pushing it back a year, and remember, the movie was still theoretically a year away, so it's not like the movie was supposed to come out in two months and then they pushed it back a year. So if, if that's the reason Warner Brothers is pushing it back, I agree with them. I think that's a great reason to push it back, and I'm all for it. I think it's the right decision. And obviously, Andy Serkis thinks it's the right decision, too. I, however, just... I can't help but feel that this was bad timing. Like, 
Why? And it's fine. Look, you've decided you're going to push this movie back a year. That's fine. I have no problem with that. But isn't this... Couldn't you have found a better time to make that announcement? Like, the fact that the first public screenings, the premiere and the first public screening of The Jungle Book happens, and then the day after that happens, when everybody's raving about this new Jungle Book, the next day to come out and say you're pushing yours back here, I think they should have waited a few weeks. Um, I mean, look, I'm not an expert when it comes to PR, so I'm not going to pretend that I am, but it just seems to me that when the Disney version of the Jungle Book movie comes out and everybody's raving about it, that the very next day you come out and drop this announcement that you're pushing it off a year. Because even if you really are pushing it back just to give yourself the time to do things right, the appearance is going to be, oh my God, we just saw Jungle Book and everybody loves it. We got to go back and make changes to ours. That's the perception. Now, that maybe that's unfair because maybe that perception is totally inaccurate and maybe that's not a fair thing to say, but that is going to be the perception. So considering... The fact that Andy Serkis's Jungle Book wasn't scheduled to come out for another year anyway. What was the rush in making it public knowledge that you've decided to push it back even another year to 2018? They could have easily waited four or five more weeks. Six weeks, seven weeks. And then made the announcement. Look, it's not a big deal. It's not. It just, no matter how much I'm, the way I'm talking about what I, right now, it's not a big deal. I just think they could have done this better. They could have handled this situation a little bit better. Because by announcing this now, the day after Jungle Book has its first public screenings, does make it look like you're just reacting to Disney's version of the Jungle Book by pushing it off another year. And maybe that's totally unfair, and maybe that's totally untrue, but that's going to be the perception. So I think they could have handled that a little bit differently. Again, at the end of the day, it's not a big deal. 2018 is going to come, and then we're going to see Andy Serkis' version of The Jungle Book, and we're going to judge it on its own merits, and then we'll go from there. Like I said, I just think in the short term, they probably could have handled this a bit better. All right, guys. Well, before we go on with our Twitter questions, you know I like to take Twitter questions from you guys every episode of the John Campia Podcast. I'd like to stop for a second and thank the sponsor of this episode, GeekFeed.com. GeekFeed.com, the world's greatest dedicated geek news feed, providing you with fresh, juicy, up-to-the-minute breaking news and shareable content on all things geek. It's the place to get your geek fix. They eat and sleep nothing but geek, scouring the internet to serve up some seriously tasty geek nuggets. So get ready to cram every orifice with the very latest from the world of comics, games, TV, and movies. Chow down on the funniest vines and memes. Feast your eyes on the latest trailers, posters, and fan art. Stuff your geek hole full of... Okay, you get the idea. Remember, connect with geekfeed.com on all social media by following them at geekfeed.com. That's at geekfeed.com. And we thank geekfeed.com for their support of this episode. All right, guys. Well, now it's time for me to get to some of your Twitter questions. How do you get a question on the John Campia podcast? It's simple. Simply jump on Twitter and tweet out a question and just make sure you include the hashtag TJCP or the John Campia podcast. Make sure you include that in your tweet and that makes sure that I will see your tweet. doesn't guarantee I'm going to use it because a lot of them come in, but it makes sure I will see this. So I've got four Twitter questions picked out right now. The first one comes from Jordan Dean 98 
And Jordan D98 writes, John, what is your favorite TV show of all time? Um, thanks a lot for the question, Jordan. Well, my all-time... Look, there's a lot of great television that's been out there that I totally love and I totally adore. And I'm going to say in my top two are this. I'm going to say my number two is Spartacus. Now, Spartacus, which was on the Stars Network, that show had a very, very rough start. Um, the first three episodes or so of Spartacus are some of the worst television ever put on screen. Like, seriously, it's just abysmal. It's horrible. Horrible television. And here's the thing. My friend Erin Cummings, who was in my movie, uh, The Anniversary, that I did, and she's a friend of mine, she plays Spartacus's wife. And because she was in it, I felt like I had to stick with this show. Because Erin's in it, so I'm sticking with it. And oh my God, I'm so glad I did. Because it became my second favorite television show of all time. I just love this show. I ate it up. And you know, now that I think, I got to go back and watch the whole series again. Maybe I'll skip the first three episodes. Um, but I absolutely love it. And, and there's, a, you know, there's a, there's a real life heartbreak story involved with the show as well. Because after season one, uh, the guy, Andy, the actor who played Spartacus in season one, um, he, they discovered he had cancer. They thought he was going into remission. They thought he was going to be able to come back. And then shortly after that, he died uh, of his of his illness. Very, very sad. And then they went on and got somebody else to play Spartacus, who wasn't as good, but still the show was wonderful. But anyway, Spartacus is my number two all-time favorite show. Only behind my number one all-time favorite TV show, which is the new incarnation of Battlestar Galactica. Um I just, I can't, I don't, I've never gotten into a TV show the way I got into Battlestar Galactica, this new incarnation. And now, as a little kid, um, I was a fan of the original, like, Lauren Green Battlestar Galactica, but, I mean, this show, this new incarnation uh, by uh, Ron Moore, uh, who is the showrunner on, on this new one, just spectacular television. I, I mean, it was the first, for me personally, the first show where, Myself and friends would have viewing parties every week. Like every week, it was a Battlestar Galactica viewing party where a bunch of friends would get together and watch the newest episode of Battlestar Galactica together. Um, and, it, and I'm sure other shows had that as well that other people did, but it was the first one for me that uh, I knew of that was so good that people got together for viewing parties and all that kind of stuff. So I'm going to say my all-time favorite TV show is that Battlestar Galactica followed by Spartacus. A bunch of other shows that I absolutely love, but those are my top two. All right, let's move on to the next one. And this one, oh my gosh, JLA62281992. Uh, JLA writes, John, thoughts on who is in the grave on Arrow? Well, you know, I've got a, a kind of a history with Arrow. So last night, the, um, the latest episode of Arrow happens. And as you know, if you watch Arrow, this whole season has been about... Because the season starts with Oliver Queen, it says three months from now, standing at a grave. And it's obviously somebody very close to him that dies. And, um, you know, and then it goes back in time. So this entire season has been about building up to who's in the grave. Who is in that grave? And yesterday... The writers of Arrow pulled a BS move that, man, if, you know, I get mad because 
they started this show so well. And Stephen Amell is such a fantastic performer and is so great as Oliver Queen. And he's going to have a great career because he's awesome. But I, I, the writers are ruining this show because I'm not going to go into a spoiler. But they pulled a BS move last night that was so clearly not what they were trying to convince the audience what it was. It's, I mean, it's weird the way I'm talking like this, and yet I can't actually go into it and describe what it is that happened. All I'll tell you is that it pissed me off even more. I have, I have, look, I, I had given up on the Arrow show a long time ago. But every three or four weeks, I would watch an episode with Anne, just because Anne still does the Arrow after show, and she's great on it, and she still likes the show. But I, that's it. That this show, you've lost all this. This team of writers lost all respect. Lost all respect. I'm not watching this show anymore. I'm not wasting another second of my time. Because, like I said, every three or four weeks, I would still sit in and, and you know check out an episode and all that kind of stuff. They've ruined it. They took what was an amazing show, and they've just crapped all over it. And the what they just did to their fans. Look, okay, spoiler. I'm going to say what happened. In case you haven't seen the new Arrow, you might want to tune out for a second. But they quote-unquote kill Laura, Laurel this episode, which you'd think I'd be thrilled about. But it's obvious she's not really dead. It's obvious. They did that little thing where she's in the hospital room and she's fine and she says to, to, to Oliver, I want to ask you to do something. And then the camera goes outside of the room so you see them talking but you don't hear what they're talking about. And then two minutes later, she's convulsing and dying. It's like, okay, obviously you're pulling a fast one. Obviously, this is a fake death or something. And would you please treat your audience with a little bit more respect? So that was BS. And I think it may take a month. It may take a year. But ultimately, they're going to show their hand that this whole move, this whole Killing Laurel thing was BS. And um, it ticked me off that they show such disrespect to their fans who still watch the show. Anyway, that was my reaction to it. Um, who do I really think is in the grave? Probably Diggle. Probably Diggle's in the grave. I think. Ultimately, by the end, I think we're going to discover it's actually Diggle in the Grave, which is too bad because I really love that character. Anyway, let's move on to the next Twitter question. The next Twitter question comes from Miss Bree Sharpie. And Miss Bree Sharpie writes, John, why doesn't Warner Brothers just make a definitive announcement about the solo Batman movie already? What are they nervous about? You know, that's a great question, uh, Miss Bree Sharpie. And it's a question that Schnepp and I have been talking about and asking ourselves on Heroes for a while. Um, what is the deal? Like, you come out and you make all these announcements. And remember, I'm the guy who loves Man of Steel, and I'm one of the few people out here right now who will defend Batman vs. Superman. I enjoyed Batman vs. Superman. I think it's an enjoyable movie. I had fun with it. Not perfect. Absolutely had its flaws. I'm not going to argue that. Absolutely it has its flaws, and it absolutely could have been better. But at the end of the day, I was entertained watching it, and so I will defend it. That being said, um, you're coming out and announcing... the. Aquaman, you're flat, and, I, and I'm, I'm excited for the Aquaman movie. I am, and you're exciting Cyborg, and I'm excited for Cyborg. I am. Don't get me. Although, the the Cyborg origin scene in Batman vs Superman was garbage, and I'm somebody who likes Batman vs Superman. I'm a defender of Batman vs Superman. I just went on Screen Junkies movie fights and defended Batman vs Superman, but that shot, that scene was garbage, and yet you're still playing completely coy with Batman and with Superman. And I just don't understand their philosophy. I don't understand their game plan here. I don't understand what they're thinking. But I, I do believe they need to come out and just make a definitive announcement. I think they will very soon. 
I think they will very soon. Batman, I think Ben Affleck is the new definitive Batman. Even most people who hated Batman versus Superman will go, okay, yeah, but Batman was really good. Yes, he was. He was fantastic. So uh, let's just hold in tight and, and see what happens. All right, moving on to the final question of the day. This one comes from uh, Choodle, I think that's the way it's pronounced, writes, John, has Joss Whedon been exiled from Hollywood? He was absent from the Star Wars The Force Awakens premiere, and now he's back to writing comic books. Why? Um, no, I don't think Joss Whedon's been exiled from Hollywood, and I can name a million people that weren't at the Star Wars The Force Awakens premiere. Um... Do I think he's been exiled? No, absolutely not. You don't make one of the biggest blockbuster films of all time and then be exiled from Hollywood. Uh, Here's the thing about Joss Whedon. I spoke with Joss after he finished the first Avengers movie. And that movie wrecked him. I mean, he was just exhausted. You could tell mentally, emotionally, physically, he was exhausted. But it was nothing compared because I got together and talked with Joss twice after Age of Ultron. And this guy looked like he belonged in a hospital bed. Like he was, I said he was wrecked after Avengers. After Avengers Age of Ultron, it was a whole nother level. He just looked destroyed. He looked spent and exhausted and wrecked and ruined and destroyed. Look, remember, making these movies is a huge task and the pressure is insane. You can't even imagine the amount of stress that there is connected with these types of things. And Joss Whedon was a wreck. And he talked a lot about during that time. It's like, man, I'm looking forward to just doing some smaller things, stepping away from this type of world for a while. And ultimately, I think that's what this is. I don't think Joss Whedon's been exiled from Hollywood. I think Joss Whedon's taken a break from Hollywood, recharging his creative batteries, going back to other things he loves to do. That's what I think is going on right now with Joss Whedon. So I believe within the year, you're going to hear a new big project that Joss Whedon's going to be directing. He will be back. He will be better than ever. He will be rested and he will be ready to go. Uh, As of right now, I think it's just a matter of the fact that he's just wiped out. Well, all right, guys, that'll do it for me for this installment of the John Campy Podcast. Keeping this one a little bit shorter than normal, again, because I'm in this environment that is not ideal for recording podcasts. My apologies again for that the sound quality of this particular episode isn't as good as it should be. But don't worry, I'll be back in my regular studio for the next episode and we'll be good to go. Uh, Again, guys, make sure you're following me on my social media. Follow me on Facebook and on Twitter at John Campia. Subscribe to my YouTube channel, which is also at John Campia. Do me a favor, guys. If you enjoy the John Campia podcast, do me a favor, open, and I'm being serious about this, please stop what you're doing for a second, open up iTunes, even if you don't normally use iTunes, open up iTunes, find the John Campia podcast, and rate and comment on this podcast, that would help me out a great deal, and I would appreciate it very much, and don't forget guys, my novel, The Pride, is available right now on Amazon, my first novel ever, uh, about dragons and humans, and a kid who's finding out his place between those two worlds, head on over to Amazon, search for The Pride, you'll find my book, the one written by John Campia, and you can get it on electronic uh, Kindle version, you can buy a paperback version, go check that out right now. So that'll do it for me, guys, for this installment of the John Campia Podcast. Thanks so much for joining me. My name's John Campia, and until next time, bye-bye.